0: We have been, uh, the past few weeks, in a series called Speakin' Okie, and uh, as I've told you guys throughout the course of this series, this is very near and dear to me because uh, that's where I hail from is the state of Oklahoma, and uh, I've tried to give you a little nugget of Oklahoma each of the past uh, few weeks, and uh, this week I just have the one. Uh, I saw this, uh, this this, if you see the date on the bottom of the picture, was from last week. This isn't something from years ago, uh, but somebody parked their horse in a handicap spot, and they have the handicap tag on their horse. This is not in a small town, by the way. You would expect this maybe in a town of 300 or 400 people. No, this is in a town of almost 40,000 people outside the courthouse. I don't know the details. It's sometimes better to not know the details and just wonder what the details were. Um, this was not one of my cousins, No. Um, this is one of my wife's cousins. Um, um. <laughs> That's all I got for you this morning, is just a horse with a handicap tag. So um, I, I told you guys last week a phrase that my grandpa likes to use, uh, or likes to use. It was uh, uh, the phrase, when it's good enough for who it's for. And, and this week, I actually caught myself saying another one of my grandpa's phrases, uh, Jennifer uh, was um, saying something, I think, about dinner one night, about how it, uh, she had fixed it, and it, it, it was something we tried new, and she goes, I don't know if this is going to be any good or not, and I said, well, it's better than a kick in the shins, which is a classic of my grandpa, and his friends, <laughs> typically, always use that as a sign of gratitude and humility, meaning, well, whatever you gave me, it's better than you just hauling off and whacking me across the shins with a boot, so... Um, you know, you can take the Okie out of Oklahoma, but you can't take the, Oak, uh, the Oklahoma out of the Okie, I guess. So, uh, This week, as I was, uh, was thinking about this, and, and I, I landed on uh, this phrase, and it's one I heard my grandma say many, many times over the years. Um, and when I mentioned it to somebody the other day, I think this phrase extends beyond just Oklahoma and the South, too. But it's a classic one uh, that basically says, if somebody makes plans to be somewhere, or if you invite me to come over tomorrow, or if, if we've got a, a, an event planned, the, the phrase goes like this, well, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, I'll be there. Now, for you, that's a Jerry saying? Yes. Well, Jerry's from Arkansas, so that's about the same difference, so um, I've got plenty of Arkansas jokes, I'll save them for later, so don't have to worry about those, um, but I think those, those jokes you can apply to any state that you want to. So. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a classic. Now, for, for some of you, you might get this. I've never had to worry about the creek rising f- so much for me. Now, my hometown, we have f- flooding issues. And uh, there actually have been times where half the town is shut down because the river or the creek is flooded. But you think about this kind of from somebody who lives maybe off the beaten path a little bit, and they've got a creek running through their property. And you guys know this: if it comes up, you can't get out. So, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we'll be there. And that's a that's a good phrase. And I've thought about this because, what does this phrase kind of represent? Well, we're making plans. We've got things under control. And as my last few weeks have shown, especially this week. Man, I do not have a grip on as much as I want to claim that I do. And maybe you're the same. I'm curious, how many of you, you are a detailed planner? Like, you have to have things planned out or you can't function. Okay? How many of you would rather just fly by the seat of your pants? My thought on this is, is when I, I go to the, the effort to really make those detailed plans, everything tends to fall apart anyway, and so it's just easier for me to kind of have an idea of where I'm going and not really worry about how I'm going to get there. Uh, a few years ago, we, we were a part of a, a group that we planned a, a weekly gathering uh, to watch Monday night football. We, we were, were living in this apartment complex, and, and we, we were trying to host a night for all the residents of this place to come together and watch Monday night football, and, and I got onto the planning committee somehow. Um, and uh, I think of the whole planning committee, I was the only one who really watched sports, and so the other others that were on there were just they were specific and detailed. And we need to know what's going to happen if we don't have this, or if, if this happens, or if we run out of chips. What do we do? I said, you give somebody five bucks and say go to the store and buy more chips. Like we don't need a contingency plan if we run out of ice or chips and dip. We're watching a football game, okay? Not solving world hunger. Like, the, it, it, we're just hanging out. It's about the laid-back hangout, and and uh, I think the two of us drove each other insane because one was obsessed on the details and I wasn't, <laughs> and I think we just pushed each other uh, almost to the breaking point. But I think about this because so many times, especially when it comes to ministry, when it comes to uh, preaching when it comes to just things here, or even in my own life, I feel like I try to make a plan and like Sabrina said, God just kind of laughs a little bit. He goes, okay, well, that's a good idea. Let me show you this way now. And I think about that because I'm a dad and I do this with my kids and I sit back sometimes watching my kids do something and they're, they've got their mind made up. This is how it's going to go. And as a dad, I've like, okay, I've seen this before, I know it's not going to work, but I'll let him try it and see, and then, okay, now would you like me to help you? And I think when it comes to us in our spiritual walk, in our journey, just in our day-to-day lives, then I mean, we really like to have things under control, because the world is pulling us in so many different directions, we want to have a grip on things, and I think at times God's saying, hey, just let, let go. I've got it. I'm here. And I thought about this, and, and I kind of came down to this, this point on this. Our plans can be good, but God's plan is perfect. And I think about this because Jesus kind of told us such. In in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he's talking specifically about money. Like he, he's been talking about uh, trying to, to build up wealth and, 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 and possession in particular, because a lot of us, we want to gain wealth or possessions not so much so that we can be wealthy, but so that we can be secure. Like we can make sure that we don't have to worry about what's coming tomorrow, or we don't have to worry about uh, meals next week or whatever. Like we just want to make sure we're taken care of. And Jesus, on the heels of that, said these words to his followers. He says, "'This is why I tell you to not worry about everyday life, "'whether you have enough food and drink "'or enough clothes to wear. "'Isn't life more than food "'or your body more than clothing? "'Look at the birds. "'They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, "'for your heavenly Father feeds them. "'And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? "'Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? "'And why worry about your clothing? "'Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow.' They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs." Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. In other words, don't stress about details. Don't try to get it all figured out. Don't think that you have to be in control of your own destiny. Our world wants to tell us that that's how it is. We need to be in control of our own destiny. And God's saying, no, you don't. I am. I've got this. And here's what, I, what, maybe if you're like me, stressing, stressing leads to worry and fear. Again, kind of going back to that, that planning committee for Monday night football games. What happens if this happens? Or what do we do if this happens? like, We'll figure it out. We'll be okay. Worst case scenario, we don't have chips. We don't have ice. We have to drink our Coke at room temperature. I mean, that's the worst case scenario here, right? Like We're not we, 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 we worry and we think about things and I think we put worst case scenarios up when in reality they're really not that bad what we're, th- what we're thinking about here. But stressing leads to worry. Worry leads to anxiety and anxiety can lead to just this whole host and list of destructive attitudes and behaviors and actions. we got a series coming up in a couple weeks. It's four weeks on anxiety. And if you struggle with anxiety and fear, I would really encourage you to to be here. It's based on a book called Anxious for Nothing. And we're going to spend four weeks breaking down four verses of the Bible that deal specifically with anxiety. But as we look at this, I I want to take that passage. It's, It's a large passage, 10 verses that Jesus just gave us here in Matthew 6. And I just want to look at this because I think he's making two things very, very clear in this passage. First, we need to learn to trust God over other people. This is hard for us, especially in an election year. It's hard for us. Why? Because everybody's telling us why we should trust them, why we should hold on to what they're saying is true and, and, and that the other person is wrong. And, and, and God's saying, no, no, I'm right. I'm true. Psalm 146 says, Don't put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Something to think about. The psalmist also said this a few uh, psalms earlier in in Psalm 118, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Uh, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. When we rely on others over God, it leads to disappointment and disillusionment. And it eventually is going to lead to discouragement, and that's going to turn into skepticism and anxiety and burnout. Anybody felt those lately? Those thoughts and attitudes can persist in us. So one of the things that I like to, to, to say, probably as much as any, it's on my Facebook bio, is this simple phrase, this simple verse, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen. And I hold that in my heart. I believe that. That's a foundational belief and statement that, that I won't waver from. Because what it says is it doesn't mean I can't trust other people But if it boils down to it, God is my rock. Nobody else is. And a way for me to remember that, and a way for all of us I think that we can remember that, is this little reminder here that we should focus on God's goodness rather than the limitations or shortcomings of other people. That's what we tend to do though, right? We tend to look at others and see what they can't do or what they refuse to do or won't do. And what does that do? That puts our focus on them and on us, or on another person, or, or it keeps it away from God. But if we focus on God's goodness, and His glory, and His just immenseness, then that's going to keep our eyes on Him. That will help us to listen to Him, and His direction, and His voice, over what the world tells us is right or wrong, or what we should or shouldn't do very famous example of this is actually from the Christmas story. Joseph is, is, is visited uh, by an angel. If you don't know the story, Mary is a virgin and pledged to be married to Joseph, and the angel comes to her and tells her, you're going to have the Messiah, the Savior, and she becomes pregnant. And Joseph knows, well, it's not my baby. And everybody else knows either, okay, Joseph did something he wasn't supposed to do, or he's about to marry somebody who did something she's not supposed to do. And that's a bad deal in this culture. And so Joseph's left with one of two options. And it says here in verse 19, it says, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He could do that or he could have her put to death. And the angel visits him, comes to him while he's asleep, and basically says, hey, this is from God. You need to go be with her and raise this child. This is going to be the Messiah, the Savior. And Joseph's going to have all of this public pressure on him. And I'm sure Joseph's thinking, man, what are my mom and dad going to say? What's my pastor going to say? What's my boss going to say? What are my friends going to say? What are the Pharisees who who hang out, the teachers of the law, what are they going to say? Because none, none of them are going to believe my story. But look at verse 24, when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. He trusted God in what must have been an impossible situation for him. Folks, trusting God requires that you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, regardless of what's happening in our culture and our society, regardless of what people are in power on our earth. Jesus is Lord. We have to acknowledge that. Six weeks from now, if our election gives results you don't like, you have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. If you don't, you're going to be miserable. I can guarantee you that. You have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Six weeks from now, if the election gives results you like, you have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Otherwise, you're going to be miserable. I can guarantee you that. See, here's the thing we have to understand and remember. The church has persisted for 2,000 years. Why? Because it puts Jesus as Lord. When it stops doing that, then that culture that that church is in crumbles and falls apart and the church moves somewhere else. And it thrives there until it quits putting Jesus as Lord. We have to keep that in in our focus. We have to keep our, our eyes on Him, on His glory and on His goodness. That's why it's important to surround yourself with godly people, to come to church on a regular basis, to get involved with a home group or involved uh, with just a group of, of people who follow Jesus. I don't mean people who agree with you on every single detail and aspect of life. I mean people who are committed to reading His Word and seeking His face and finding out who He is. That's what we need to do as Christians. So here's a question I want you to ask yourself a little bit here. Who is somebody that you are surrendering yourself to? Now, we're called to surrender to God, to submit to Him. We do that through baptism. We surrender our lives to Him. We we repent. We turn away. We, We accept Him as our Savior. We follow Him. But a lot of us are surrendering to God, but we're also surrendering maybe to other people or other ideals. So who are you surrendering yourself to? See, surrender to God, yes, salvation is a one-time thing. We don't need to just get saved over and over and over. Jesus went to the cross one time for us. But here's something that I, I have to wrestle with sometimes. Surrender and submission, that's a daily thing for us. We have to keep that in mind, otherwise we can lose track. We can get off track a little bit. Jesus told us this in Luke chapter 9. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Daily and follow me. A lot of us are good at at, at doing that once and thinking we're good. Well, you know what? I submitted once, I'm good. But then you kind of spend the rest of your days living for yourself. No, we have to remind ourselves on a regular basis who our Lord is and where our focus should be. Otherwise, we're going to start putting misguided trust into other people, people who are just as fallible as we are, who are as broken as we are, Who are as limited as we are, instead of on a limitless and perfect and holy God. Folks, the more time you spend focusing on Him, in His Word, in prayer, the more natural and easy this is gonna be. But second, we need to learn to trust God over ourselves. I think this is where a lot of us run into trouble. Maybe you don't get caught up in other people, but maybe you get caught up in yourself, and it's not that you're self-centered, but it's that you get caught up in trusting in what you can do on your own. After all, that's kind of what our society tells us. Well, if everybody else fails you, you've got yourself. Go look out for number one. And here's the problem with that. When I rely on myself only, I'm deciding what's best for me and what's right and wrong. And my ideas of all that is, you know, obviously limited to myself. One of the verses, uh, first verses I remember learning as a kid, you know, we had, we had John 3.16 that we learned as a kid, but one of the very first ones I, I learned as a kid was one my mom instilled in me. It's from Proverbs chapter 3. When It's very clear what, what the writer says here, that we trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He makes your path straight. That was kind of my theme verse my mom had for me growing up. Like when I was a senior, they had little senior ads in our yearbook and you know, everybody puts a Bible verse with their kid's name whether they uh, you know, follow the Bible or not, they want to make sure that it looks like they are. Well, that was the one my mom put with my name. Proverbs 3, 6, uh, 3 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And man, that's that's a reminder for me because I feel like I man, God's given me <clears throat> these talents and these gifts and and and, and a certain uh, just a certain package to work with, and I, that's good, I can trust that, and I can run with that. And God still has to remind me sometimes, no, remember who gave you that, though. You're, you're tasked with using it, but it's not yours. <laughs> it's mine, I gave it to you. And, and, and I have to remember this, folks, to trust in Him and not rely on myself. I have to listen to the Holy Spirit. This can be difficult, but listening to the Holy Spirit... It is vital because as Jesus says in John chapter 16, he's the spirit of truth. And he will guide us to the truth. And maybe for you, the spirit is one that you're like, yeah, I listen to the spirit, he's a voice I hear, but there's so many other voices too. A couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, how how Jesus is, is the good shepherd and the good shepherd is good because his sheep know his voice. And they'll come to his voice. They'll listen to His voice. Next week, uh, that's kind of how we're going to wrap up this series next week, is by learning to hear His voice and nobody else's. Discerning the truth. Listening and following the Spirit. But but finally, too, if we want to stop relying on ourselves so much, we have to learn to get into our Word. Not just to read it, but to study it. To, To meditate on it. To ingrain it into your heart. To make the word what leads you and guides you, Psalm one nineteen, the psalmist says, "Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path." Here's the problem with that particular verse: a lot of us read that this this lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we think we think it's a spotlight that shines miles in front of us. It's not quite how it works. We want to read the Bible, and we want to get answers for what's going to happen a year from now, and four years from now, and five years from now, and on and on and on, and we don't get those answers. We're like, well, God, I tried to trust you. How many of you have walked through the woods or through a dark path, and you just got like a lantern, and it lights up a couple feet in front of you? See, I think that with the Bible sometimes. We want the Bible to show us everything that's coming, and the Word does, and it shows us what's right in front of us. It shows us that our next step is going to be safe. And if we keep holding it out there, then we'll be able to see the step after that, and then the step after that. But if we knew everything that was coming miles in front of us, we wouldn't need faith. Faith doesn't work when we know what's coming, faith works when we trust God in the midst of what's coming. And, folks, I just want to say this we're not going to learn how to trust God completely until we start making a daily commitment to read and study and meditate on His Word. And we're not going to learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit until we're making a daily commitment to spend time in prayer, not talking to God, but listening for God. Yes, we can talk to God, but we need to learn to listen to Him too. That's how we learn to trust in His plan. There's a very famous passage from the Bible that many of you probably have on the wall in your home. It's found in Jeremiah 29. And it's this passage on hope and plans and and God's plans and the perfection in them. I've got this on a picture frame. I think I actually got this picture frame uh, when I was uh, graduating high school. We've had it for for that long, but it's got Jeremiah 29, 11 on it. I've actually got a picture of my brother and me from when we were, I think I was about five or six and he was about two. And... um, this, this is a verse I think we, we tend to, to put up and say, well, you know, God's got plans for me and, and, and everything's going to be good. But there's more to this story because this was a word through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel who had been put into exile and into captivity And they had been given no reason for hope whatsoever. And all they were doing was just crying out, God, we need to hear your voice. We need to know you're going to take care of the situation. We need to know that you're going to come and deal with this. And God wasn't answering them, and they were getting impatient and angry. Sound familiar? And here's what God says through the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I think about this because we want to trust God until He doesn't answer us before we finish our prayer. We want to trust that God's going to take control of the situation until our situation starts to get a little bit worse. And then we just assume, He's okay, well, whatever, He doesn't care. No, trusting God requires patience and perseverance. I always love the running jokes that people tell other Christians, like, you know, don't pray for patience. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We all need more of it, but if you pray, God, show me how to be more patient. He'll give you every opportunity in the world to be more patient. Let's be honest, that's a prayer we should pray, but you need to be willing to accept what's coming if He does. Because He will, he will let you see how long you can be patient. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's a statement of patience and perseverance. And I'll be honest, even when you are accepting that you can be patient and you can persevere, it is still difficult. There are still times when you want to yell at God and let Him hear it. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you, God can handle that. God can handle it. He's God. I've told different people here who are dealing with situations and, and they just want to scream and, and, and cry out at somebody. I said, hey, you can come do that to me. I'm not the target of your anger and frustration. I know that. If you need to come let it out, you can come let it out in my office. God can handle it. God wants to hear from you. And I think God, wa- I, I sometimes think God would rather you let him hear it then you just give up and walk away and say, well, I tried. I gave you two days, God, and you didn't answer. Okay? I mean, even Domino's does 30 minutes, right? And God can't do that. So whatever, I'm, I'm done, I'm moving on. God wants to hear from you. And here's what I want you to take from this today, folks. We can learn to trust Him completely, and here's how. Here, here's a couple of a very quick reasons why you can trust Him completely. You can trust His character. God is who He says He is, and He will be who He says He will be. Uh, the book of Hebrews is all about comparing the old covenant to the new, the way things used to be to the way things are now. And, and as the, the writer kind of wraps up this letter, uh, he, the, the, the writer wraps it up basically, By giving this reminder in in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. When somebody is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that tells you their character. Somebody's character is determined by their consistency. And God doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He is who he says he is. But you can also trust his control. He's got control of things, and it might not make sense to you now, but if you can be patient and persist and persevere, it'll make sense later on. Isaiah chapter 41, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah is given these words to, to give to Israel. It says, don't fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. <clears throat> Folks, when you can learn to live as though God has everything under control, anxiety is going to take a back seat. Fear and worry is going to take a back seat. Your own desire to be in control will take a back seat. That's difficult. I always say change is difficult unless you're the one in control the change, and then it's difficult for a different reason. Even if you trust where change is going and you like where it's headed, if you're not grabbing the wheel, sometimes it's very difficult because you don't know what the person holding the wheel is going to do to get where they're going. But folks, God has the wheel. We have to let go. We have to step back and enjoy the ride. We trust in Him because above all, He cares for us. He loves us. He went to the cross for us. Go back to that passage we started off with in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. I think a lot of times, even those of us as, as Christians, even those of us who are devoted and dedicated followers who we say, we trust God completely, I don't think we're always as good at seeking the kingdom of God above all else as we think we are. I think we think we're doing it, but, but if we're honest, if we step back and look, I think we're seeking the kingdom of God alongside everything else. Like we're, we're seeking it, but we're also making sure that these things are done the right way over here too. No, seek his kingdom first and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We're heading into uh, a stretch of the next few weeks that are going to test how much we need to be in control of things. We're heading into a time when, when we need to learn that he has our best interest in mind and in control. We're going to transition this right into our our time of communion this morning. And um, as as we think about this this moment, we we, we pause every week to take time out of our service and out of our week and out of our day for communion. If you didn't, grab a packet on the way in. If you throw your hand up, we'll we'll get one uh, to you. But as we think about that that phrase, that statement, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, my prayer for you all today, my prayer for you all this week is that we learn to ingrain that in our hearts. Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus took punishment and death for you and for me because I can't save myself. Nobody else can save me. Nobody else can save you. People can do things for you. They can be good to you. They can help you. But they can't save your soul. Jesus did. And then Jesus stepped out of the grave a couple of days later to defeat death once and for all. And because of that, we put our hope on him. We build our lives on him.